0: Chapter Fifteen of Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nan Sherwood at Pine Camp by Annie Roe Carr. Chapter Fifteen: A Cat and Her Kittens. That was a breakfast long to be remembered by Nan Sherwood. Not particularly because of its quality, but for the quantity served. She had never seen men like these lumbermen eat before, save for the few days she had been at Uncle Henry's house. Great platters of baked beans were placed on a table, flanked by the lumps of pork that had seasoned them. Fried pork, too, was a mainstay on the bill of fare. The deal table was graced by no cloth or napery of any kind. There were heaps of potatoes and onions fried together and golden cornbread with bowls of white gravy to ladle over it. After riding twenty-five miles through such a frosty air, Nan would have had to possess a delicate appetite indeed not to enjoy these viands. She felt bashful because of the presence of so many rough men, but they left her alone for the most part, and she could listen and watch. "'Old Toby Vanderbiler tell you what Ged's been blowing about, Henry?' asked one of the men at the table, busy ladling beans into his mouth with a knife a feat that Nan thought must be rather precarious, to say the least. "'Says he's going to jail me if I go on to the Perkins' tract,' growled Uncle Henry, with whom the matter was doubtless a sore subject. "'Yes, but he says more'n that,' said this tale-bearer. "'Oh, Ged says a whole lot besides his prayers,' responded Uncle Henry good-naturedly. Perhaps he saw they were trying to bait him. "'Well, tain't nothing prayerful he's saying,' drawled the first speaker. "'after a gulp of coffee from his thick china cup. "'Some of the boys at Beckett's, you know, they're a tough crowd. "'Was rigging him about what you said to him down at the forks, "'and Ged spit out that he'd give a lump of money to see you on your back. <laughs> "'Grunted Uncle Henry. "'And some of them took him up, got the old man right down to cases.' "'That's so,' asked Mr. Sherwood curiously. "'What's Ged going to do, challenge me to a game of Cat's Cradle?' "'Or does he want to settle the business at droughts? three best out of five? "'Now you know darn well, hen,' said the other, "'as some of the listeners laughed loudly at Mr. Sherwood's sally. "'That old ged raffer will never lock horns with you, "'cept it's in court, "'where he'll have the full protection of the law "'and a grain the best of it into the bargain.' "'Well, I suppose that's so,' admitted Nan's uncle rather gloomily, she thought. "'So if Beckett's crowd aren't interested in bumping you a whole lot, "'you may be sure Ged's promised them real money for it.' "'Pshaw!' exclaimed Uncle Henry. "'You're fooling now. "'He hasn't hired any half-baked chip-eaters and Canucks to try and beat me up.' "'I ain't foolin'. Pshaw!' "'You can pshaw till the cows come home,' cried the other heatedly. "'I got it straight. Who from?' "'Sim Barkis. him what's cooking for Beckett's crew.' "'Good man, Sim.' Never caught him in a law yet. You are beginning to sound reasonable, Josh. And Mr. Sherwood put down his knife and fork and looked shrewdly at his informant. Now tell me, he said, how much is Sim going to get for helping to pay Ged Raffer's debts? Har, ejaculated the other man. You know Sim ain't that kind. All right, then. How much does he say the gang's going to split between em after they've done me up brown according to contract?" Scoffed Uncle Henry. And Nan realized that her giant relative had not the least fear of not being able to meet any number of enemies in the open. Sim come away before they got that far. Of course, Gad didn't say right out in open meeting that he'd give so many dollars for your scalp. But he got em all interested, and it wouldn't surprise him so, Sim said, if on the quiet some of those plug uglies had agreed to do the job. Nan shuddered, and had long since stopped eating but nobody paid any attention to her at the moment. Uncle Henry drawled, They're going to do the hardest day's job for the smallest pay that they ever did on this Michigan peninsula. I'm much obliged to you, Josh, for telling me. I never go after trouble, as you fellows all know, but I shan't try to dodge it either. He picked up his knife and fork and went quietly on with his breakfast, but Nan could not eat any more at all. It seemed to the gently nurtured girl from Tilbury as though she had fallen in with people from another globe. Even the mill hands, whom Bess hardly so scorned, were not like these great rough fellows whose minds seemed continually to be fixed upon battle. At least she had never seen or heard such talk as had just come now to her ears. The men began, one by one, to push back the benches and go out. There was a great bustle of getting under way as the team started for the woods. And the choppers, too, went away. Tom hurried to start his big pair of dapple grays, and Nan was glad to bundle up again and run out to watch the exodus. They were a mighty crew. As Uncle Henry had said, the Big Woods did not breed runts. Remembering the stunted, quick-moving, chattering French Canadians and the scattering of American-born employees among them, who worked in the Tilbury mills, Nan was the more amazed by the average size of these workmen. The woodsmen were a race of giants beside the narrow-shouldered, flat-chested pygmies who toiled in the mills. Tom strode by with his timber sled. Rafe leaped on to ride, and Tom playfully snapped his whiplash at him. Nan was glad to see that the two brothers smiled again at each other. Their recent tiff seemed to be forgotten. Some of the choppers had already gone on ahead to the part of the tract where the marked trees were being felled. Now the pluck, pluck, pluck of the axe-blows laid against the forest monarchs reached the girl's ears. She thought the flat stuttering sound of the axes said pluck very plainly, and that that was just the word they should say. For it does take lots of pluck to do work of this kind, Nan confided to her uncle, who walked up and down on the porch smoking an after-breakfast pipe. Yes, no softies allowed on the job, said he cheerfully. Some of the boys may be rough and hard nuts to crack. But it is necessary to have such boys, or we couldn't get out the timber." "'But they want to fight so much,' gasped Nan. "'Show,' said her uncle slowly. "'It's mostly talk.' They feel the itch for hard work and hard play, that's all. You take lively, full-muscled animals, and they are always bucking and quarreling, trying to see which one is the best. Take two young, fat steers, they'll lock horns at the drop of a hat. It's animal spirits, Nan. They feel that they've got to let off steam. Where muscle and pluck count for what they do in the lumber camps, there's bound to be more or less ructions. Perhaps this might be, but Nan was dreadfully sorry nevertheless. That Uncle Henry had this trouble with Mr. Gedney Raffer. The girl feared that there had been something besides letting off steam in the challenge her uncle had thrown down to his enemy, or to the men that enemy could hire to attack him. The timber sledges soon began to drift back for some of the logs had been cut before the big storm, and had only to be broken out of the drifts and rolled upon the sleds with the aid of the men's cant hooks It was a mystery at first to Nan how they could get three huge logs, some of them three feet in diameter at the butt, onto the sled, two at the bottom, and one rolled upon them, all being fastened securely with the timber chain and hook. How the horses strained in their collars to start the mighty load! But once started, the runners slipped along easily enough, even through the deep snow, packing the compressible stuff in one passage, as hard as ice. Nan followed in this narrow track to the very bank of the river where the logs were heaped in long windrows, ready to be launched into the stream when the waters should rise at the time of the spring freshet. Tom managed his team alone and unloaded alone, too. It was marvelous, so Nan thought that her cousin could start the top log with a great cant hook, and guide it as it rolled off the sled so that it should lie true with timbers that had been piled before. The strain of his work made him perspire as though it were midsummer. He thrust the calks on his boot soles into the log, and the shreds of bark and small chips flew as he stamped to get a secure footing for his work. Then he heaved like a giant, his shoulders humping under the blue jersey he wore and finally the log turned. Once started, it was soon rolled into place. Nan ran into the cook shed often to get warm. Her uncle was busy with the boss of the camp, so she had nobody but the cook and his helper to speak to for a time. Therefore it was loneliness that made her start over the half beaten trail for the spot where the men were at work, without saying a word to anybody. None of the teams had come by for some time, But she could hear faintly the sound of the axes, and the calling of the workmen to each other, and their sharp commands to the horses. She went away from the camp a few hundred yards, and then found that the trail forked. One path went down a little hill, and as that seemed easy to descend, Nan followed it into a little hollow. It seemed only one sled had come this way, and none of the men were here. The voices and axes sounded from higher up the ridge. Suddenly, she heard something entirely different from the noise of the woodsmen. It was the snarling voice of a huge cat, and almost instantly Nan sighted the creature, which stood upon a snow-covered rock beside the path. It had tasseled ears, a wide, wicked smile, bristling whiskers, and fangs that really made Nan tremble, although she was some yards from the bobcat. As she believed, from what her cousins had told her, bobcats are not usually dangerous. They never seek trouble with men, save under certain conditions, and that is when a mother cat has kittens to defend. This was a big female cat, and although the season was early, she had littered and her kittens, three of them, were bedded in a heap of leaves blown by the wind into a hollow tree trunk. The timber man driving through the hollow had not seen the bobcat and her three blind babies but he had roused the mother cat, and she was now all ready to spring at intruders. That Nan was not the person guilty of disturbing her repose made no difference to the big cat. She saw the girl standing affrighted and trembling in the path, and with a ferocious yowl and leap, she crossed the intervening space and landed in the snow within almost arm's reach of the fear-paralyzed girl. End of chapter fifteen